Welcome to the Lead Team Athletics Podcast. I got my guy Tevin in here. I'm your host, Kyle Coglator, and we have the pleasure of having Green Bay Packer Billy Turner with us today. How's it going, Billy? Gucci, man. How you guys doing? Doing well. Good, good, good. So uh, I want to start us off by talking about uh, <clears throat> Kind Energy Foundation. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, Kind Energy Kind Energy Foundation was something that me and my homie Nick Jarvis was my neighbor growing up. We were homies basically from grade zero all the way through now. And uh, we bounced a lot of ideas off one another. Um, a couple of years ago, we came up with the idea to potentially start a nonprofit and uh, started bouncing some names around some ideas, et cetera. And essentially what it ended up coming to was the Kind Energy Foundation after we had a couple ideas, had a couple names that we ended up squashing. Um, but we ended up with Kind Energy Foundation. And we ended up with that because we wanted to essentially, in a negative world with so much negativity that's always just existing and evolving around a lot of different things, whether it's our country, our world, or humanity as a whole, we wanted to bring positive energy, you know, positive energy, good vibes, iry stuff. That, that's a lot of stuff that I'm about. And Nick was kind of on the same page with me as we always have been since we were younger. So we were on the same page there. We came up with kind energy. We wanted to help youth, allow youth to, uh, be able to chase their dreams and their goals while, you know, providing a lot of kind energy and a lot of positivity with all of that. So kind energy is what we set on. And then I'm doing some clothing stuff because I'm into clothing, the fashion thing, but that all kind of got put on pause within the last month, month and a half with this COVID-19 that kind of just sprouted up, you know, out of nowhere, allegedly out of nowhere. <laughs> um, so basically we, we honestly just connected on a call and our nonprofit is now kind of in the, in the startup phase, um, kind of just coming to light a little bit. I, I did a couple small projects with the Packers via the nonprofit during the season, but this campaign, the kindness for COVID is really our first big campaign and thing that we're doing and starting under our foundation, uh, kind energy. So. Essentially, we linked on a call. All this was going on. We were just like, yo, we got to figure out a way to help out. And essentially, we had a bunch of inventory of T-shirts that we had bought like a year ago. So we used one of our basic logos. We didn't want it to be about the fashion or the clothing or anything. We wanted to sell as many shirts as possible with 100% of the proceeds going towards COVID-19 relief. And then um, a couple other ways you can just donate money depending on, you know, everyone's economic situation right now especially with the economy being so shitty because of COVID-19 we wanted everyone to be able to essentially give what they could when they could as much as they could you know so if you don't have money then what we ask is you know to, to share something nice share a, a positive a very simple um kind act that you have performed that day whether it's you know out in public and you're getting coffee or at the grocery store or something you know right now because we're in quarantine something when you're at home with your family or something like that so you know we, we want people to share this thing we're going to end up donating as many times as people use our hashtag or retweet it etc we're going to end up donating the same amount <coughs> excuse me in towards the campaign 
And then, like I said before, all the proceeds are going to end up going towards COVID-19 relief to purchase personal protective equipment for frontline personnel. That's awesome. That's dope. That's dope. Is that something that's always kind of been instilled in you, kind of giving back to the community? Obviously, this is a unique time with COVID, but even before so, <laughs> youth and stuff like that, is that something that was instilled in you from your parents to always kind of give back, or is that something you just kind of picked up on your own? Honestly, what was instilled in me from my parents was to be a good person, to be positive, and to essentially radiate that energy out to the world. That's what they instilled in me. Um, when I got to high school, as I'm sure a lot of high schools do, what we did, we would go and bag groceries to raise money for our football, basketball, baseball. We would do simple things like that, which call it community service, call it whatever you want. Um, and that's kind of where I think the idea kind of started to spin around in my head and, you know, not always wanting to do that as a high school kid, as most high school kids mm-hmm. maybe and maybe don't want to do, but that's kind of where everything started. Then going to school up at NDSU, my first year up there, the the Red River, whatever it's called, it flooded. So we yep. went to Sandbag. You know what I mean? You remember that? We I, went I, to I, Sandbag. Yeah. And it was just, yeah. you're like, damn, we're really out here toting Sandbag, you know, helping out. <laughs> and that was a, that was another instance where, you know, kind of giving back that community service feel kind of started to, you know, kind of kick around in my head a little bit with different ideas. And then moving forward, I had a class where I had to do a community service project. And then I linked up with big brother, big sister and Fargo. Um, I got me a little homie who I stuck around with for those two years that I was up there. And, you know, I only had to end up really doing it for like a month or two as long as that semester was for that class, but I continued to do it throughout the rest of my time up at NDSU. And honestly, every year kind of from those points, something else has been kind of introduced and into my life, whether it be through football or the off season or something that I am personally interested in. It just continues to kind of go up and I mean, go above and beyond every single time, to be honest with you. That's awesome, man. And to, to have that want, too, a lot of people, like you said, especially starting out when you're young, you don't have that desire mm-hmm. to do that. You think, oh, this isn't worth my time. But to continue to do it and to grow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, you don't, uh, you don't really think of stuff like that when you're younger. You know, it's not, uh, it's not necessarily on your mind. I mean, honestly, maybe uh, depending, on, depending on your actual situation with, how you grow up in your upbringing, et cetera, you know, you might, you might think about things differently, which I'm sure we all do. Everyone goes through adversity, kind of like we spoke about earlier, you know, adversity is completely different, but it's honestly, you know, my upbringing was completely different than both yours, you know? So the things that I thought about when I was younger is probably just completely different. You know, it was never, you know, too pressed to me to think about having, a meal that night. I knew my parents were always going to be able to provide for me no matter what, you know, whereas if it's a child or someone, you know, whose family maybe not be, might not be too far well off and that kid might have to worry about where his next meal is coming from and no different than kids who are struggling right now with this COVID-19 thing. They, they relied on meals at school. Mm-hmm. You know, they're relying on that snack or that breakfast or that lunch at school now you can't go to school because of COVID-19. He doesn't know where he's getting that next meal from. You know, his parents might not be able to provide those meals. So, you know, every individual faces adversity 
to a different severity. And especially now, I think the playing field is a little bit more level, still not level, but, you know, I, I mean, growing up for me, it, it was never something that I, I necessarily thought about. Whereas I'm sure there was plenty of other kids who had those ideas kicked around in their heads, how they can give back, how they can change things, not only for themselves, but for their families in the future. Agreed. Agreed. Well, after the show, I'd like to talk to you about some other stuff that I could possibly do to help with that. Um, but I do want to pivot, since we're talking about COVID, to the pandemic. Um, you know, how is this affecting the NFL offseason right now for you and, and players that you're friends with throughout the league? What's kind of going on? Man, it's – I would love to not say that it's hectic, but it is a little bit hectic because you just – there's there's a big it's a big area over here that is just unknown you don't know when you're going to start when you do start you don't know what it's going to be like we were supposed to start the off-season program on monday which got kicked to next monday and it's going to be virtual for us um installing plays doing meetings everything via zoom kind of like we're doing right now that's kind of what it's going to be down to you know some teams are are doing virtual workouts etc not a lot i think there's only like three of them some teams are not doing an off-season program at all um the draft starts tonight i mean we spoke about this earlier too i'm sure there's going to be technical difficulties throughout the entire process you know what i mean but again that's the adversity that we all have to face no matter what so you know it's definitely hectic 100 percent and you know, the, the thing that is, I don't want to say uneasy, but the thing that is unknown is that there is no time frame. There is no point in time where you're like, okay, I'm working for this date right here because you might get to that date and it might be pushed out another two or three months. You know, right. so you got to kind of have the mindset to continue to grind, continue to work, and just to have that consistent work ethic through in and throughout until you get to that point where you get the phone call, you get the text, the email saying, this is when we're starting. This is what it's going to be like. This is what we're going to have to go through. These are the loops. These are the bounds we're going to have to jump over, et cetera. And this is how it's going to be. But everything is just kind of honestly up in the air. And from an organization standpoint with the Packers and from a league standpoint with the NFL, you know, we're in off-season mode right now. The NBA is should be in the playoffs right now. The MLB – should be at the beginning of their season, the NHL, you know what I mean? All these, all these other leagues and all these other sports were mid season and they got shut down or right at the beginning and got shut down. So I would say that it's a little easier for us at this point right now, because we were in off season, mode. you know? Right. So, and moving forward, I think it's going to be a little bit dependent upon depending on how long this goes on, what the MLB does, what the NBA does, what the NHL does, what soccer does, you know what I mean? What all of these teams and these organizations and these sports, these leagues, what they do moving forward because, you know, we don't technically start our season until the beginning of August is when training camp usually starts. So we still have some time, but, I mean, then again, if you watch the news, if you kind of pay attention to this, it's kind of just going like this, you know? It's not really – yeah, the NFL is definitely starting to get up against it, and especially for you and the rest of the te- your teammates and for the Packers, like you guys are have a new head coach going into this season. And so it's like you're not able to get that camaraderie and kind of get the feel for him and the new – if there's a new <laughs> – like, 
Last year. Sorry, last year. My bad, my bad, my last bad. Year. Yeah, so, like, but other teams that are going through coaching changes, right? Like, that's a whole new thing of you can't, like, Dak Prescott in Dallas with his contract situation, that's getting prolonged because of the COVID. So, yeah, a wrench is just yeah. throwing yeah, I mean it's rookies. I mean, what are they gonna do? You know what yeah. I mean? I, I don't. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be different. That's for sure. You know, working out. I work out at the training house over in Egan by the Vikings facility, and Bill Welly, um, my trainer up there that I've been using for the past probably five six years. He left XP and Boca where he was, you know, traditionally taking a lot of big time college athletes through combine prep. And he came up here to do it at training house here to get a lot of local guys and guys from the Midwest to start doing it. And he had a group up there, but you know, there's guys in that group who were definitely going to be undrafted free agent signings, if that. So, you know, that, that's kind of where my mindset initially went was, you know, what happens to these guys? They don't get a pro day. Right. They don't get that that small opportunity because they didn't get invited to the combine. So they don't get that small opportunity to have that chance to showcase themselves at a pro day. You know, there probably isn't going to be a rookie mini camp. They don't get that opportunity. Will there be free agent signings undrafted guys? Yeah. 100% there's going to be undrafted free agent signings, but you know, whereas you get the rookie mini camp, uh, you get the pro day, you know, that's when, some of these scouts and some of these teams kind of level guys out. And, you know, a guy might be lower on a list, but he goes to a pro day, goes to rookie mini camp, and he shows out, he goes to the top of the list. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So now this is purely going to be reliance on college film, which a lot of it always is, you know, but, you know, the interview process, college film, pro day, mini camp, all of those things kind of, you know, they, they form a ball and, you know, you just, turn the ball and you pick and choose things that you like about certain guys. And that's kind of how every organization ends up not only drafting guys, but picking them as free agents. And, you know, being in the NFL for a couple of years, you know, I now realize that it doesn't matter if you're a first round draft pick or you're an undrafted free agent. If you're on that 53 man roster, you're going to contribute to that team. If you're on the practice squad, you're contributing to that team that year. It doesn't matter where you were drafted. You know what I mean? So people don't realize how big it is for organizations moving forward not to be able to have face-to-face interactions, not to be able to have these pro days and these mini camps because those guys are a big part of every NFL team and every sports organization at that. So do you think teams will start following suit kind of like with uh, the Saints? They basically canceled their whole offseason. You know, uh, Uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be, I mean, to each their own 100%, every head coach is different. And ultimately, I think that is, you know, between the head coach, the general manager, and the owner, it's probably between those three guys and their decision. Um, I personally knew we were going to do whatever we were able to do. You know, our head coach, Matt LaFleur, he, uh, he's about his work. He, he wants to get in. He wants to have guys start to learn things, to kind of get back into the motion, to get things in your memory, to keep them fresh. So, you know, I knew we were going to have something, whatever we were allowed to do. Um, I think it's pretty, call it stereotypical, or pretty on par with the Patriots to be doing virtual workouts yeah. on top of virtual meetings. You know what I mean? I'm, that's to be expected, at least to yeah. me. Um, I don't know what a lot of other teams are doing. My homie with the Titans, I think they're doing the same thing that we are. And I think a lot of teams will just kind of stick to the virtual meetings type of thing. But I mean, honestly, it's a, 
it's a toss-up, man. You know, we could. There's probably going to be teams who do the virtual meeting things for you know two, three, four weeks, and then shut it down, and maybe don't do the next three, four, however many weeks going forward as a traditional off-season program would go. Yeah, cool. it it kind of on the same kind of pivoting a little bit. So with like all the COVID stuff going on, let's say NFL season comes around, games start getting canceled, or season opens up, gets pushed back. How does like for contract wise, do you guys still get paid like your guaranteed money for the season? Do you know, or is that something that hasn't really come up in conversation? Um, I don't know how the season is going to work. Um, I mean, I'm sure certain guys, contractually speaking, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, the big question for a lot of us in Green Bay was traditionally in our contracts we have workout bonuses. So that meaning let's say there's 10 off-season workouts. There's well over that, but let's just say it's 10. Yep. You got to be at 85% of those to get your bonus for that off-season. You know what I mean? So every team does not do that. Um, ours, I believe, is probably going to be based off of these virtual meetings that we do. So as long as you're on the Zoom and you're at the meeting with your coach and your position group, I think yep. that is going to count as your credit. But – Moving forward to the actual season, I have no idea how it's going to work if the season gets pushed back because at that point it's like, look, well, this is in my contract. It's not necessarily on me that right. the season is getting pushed back, et cetera. So, I mean, if it does get to that point, I think there's definitely going to be a lot of back and forth uh, back and forth things that go because, look, I signed a contract saying I was going to be paid this amount based off of – all of this, you know, so uh, honestly, I don't know. Things could get interesting at that point, but I mean, we're just going to have to wait and see, to be honest. And that's just kind of how this whole thing is going. Yeah, hopefully, well, hopefully know, it doesn't get to that point, but kind of, right. kind of segueing a little bit, but I know, I, I wonder if the NFL has some sort of pandemic clause in there, because I know with Wimbledon, they've been paying an insurance, like a crazy amount of money. I think it was like 36 million over the last like 14 years. They cashed out for like 138 mil. Damn. Damn. And people thought they were crazy. Yeah, for I have no idea. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, to that point with Wimbledon, with tennis, not saying the NFL is not international because, as we all know, it definitely is now. But yeah. primary, you know, majority of the games are played in the United States, so that might have something to do with it. Whereas tennis. You know, a lot of those tournaments are in different countries, you know, month to month. So I, I have no idea. But, I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see because, honestly, this is just something that's never, never happened before with professional sports. I don't want to say a pandemic has never happened because, you know, the Spanish flu and all that stuff back in the back in the day, like, stuff like this has happened before. It's just, I mean, honestly, modern technology and – I mean, evolution, call it with sickness, I guess. Here we are. <laughs> well, since you're, since you're throwing some stuff up from back in the day, let's rewind back to some high school days. I mean, we don't have to get into you killing everybody on the football field, but a cool <laughs> thing, the cool thing that I knew is you were a baseball prospect, a pitcher and a first baseman. A lot of Those people don't know that about you. Yeah, um, I did play baseball. I, man, I uh, – I like baseball. Baseball for me in high school, especially, but even growing up playing three sports and, you know, back to back to back to back throughout the year, baseball 
was competitive, but it was a little bit more low key. You were outside. It, it definitely had a piece to it. And it was, I don't want to call it a recharge, but it was kind of a little bit of a recharge throughout the year for me. I love baseball. I still do. Um, I always threw hard, but like my freshman year at our baseball trials for the freshman team, I threw like 75 miles an hour and I came back my sophomore year and I threw like 91 or 92 and they're like, what the hell? So then they tried turning me into a pitcher and Man, throwing and throwing and throwing. And then my junior year, I started to get a hang of it. And um, then I tweaked my shoulder and my labrum a little bit. And I had to shut it down for the year. And then coming back into that senior year, it just – it wasn't – it. hey, man, I'm a football player. Like, I'm not trying to be <laughs> up on that mountain. Like, you know what I'm saying? And throwing strikes and all that. Like, I threw hard. But, man, it just – that was that was too much for me. But, yeah, I was uh, – I played baseball. I threw hard, but that's as that's as far as that went for me. And we all know you were a all state lineman. You had that twenty six and eight career when you were playing. I mean, you guys dominated. Obviously, that's why NDSU was hitting you up. I kind of want to get into the the recruiting process. What what got you to where you went? Who was talking to you? All that good stuff. Man, the recruiting process was uh, it was interesting. As a high school athlete, you always want to, you know, you want to go in the Midwest. You want to be in the Big Ten. You want to go to the SEC. You want to, you know what I'm saying? But that's not always in the cards for everyone. For me, growing up in this area, Chantrell was the number one recruit in the nation. We were in the same the same conference, you know what I mean? And he had offers from everyone in the country, not to mention there was dudes like Jimmy Jerry who went to Irondale, who had a lot of Big Ten offers. He ended up going to the University of Minnesota. Bo Allen, I believe, was the year before me, had a lot of offers, ended up going to Wisconsin. Um, a couple of years before that, Willie Mobley, one of my homies, ended up going to Ohio State. So, you know, Michael Floyd, uh, Adam Weber, my brother went to Northern Iowa. So there was, there was a time frame there where, call it five, call it 10 years, but Minnesota was putting out athletes. Not saying they're not now. You know, I just don't pay as much attention to it now. But growing up, like looking up to all these dudes, like they're putting out athletes. These dudes are going all over the country, Big Ten, SEC, wherever they want to go. It got to my senior year, you know, that junior going into senior year, and there was a lot of hype in the state around Chantrell and these other dudes. So did I get overlooked? Yeah, probably. But to be honest, it was the best thing that happened for me. And I ended up going to North Dakota State. I had a lot of offers from um, the schools that were in our conference, Northern Iowa, NDSU, uh, South Dakota State, um, Southern Illinois, Illinois State, all of those you know schools that were in the Missouri Valley. And then ultimately, I was on my way up to University of North Dakota for a football camp. And then North Dakota State was the following day or a day after that. But got up to university of North Dakota. I had already had an offer from them and then came down to North Dakota state for that camp and ended up like tweaking my growing running the 40, but on my way to UND, when we stopped in Fargo, I remember falling asleep in the car and I woke up and I was like, damn, where are we at? My dad was like, Oh, we're in Fargo. This is where NDSU is. 
And I was like, oh, I like this. And then I fell back to sleep and ended up at UND. <laughs> I got up there, I opened my eyes. I'm like, damn, fuck this. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, like I said, I ended up tweaking my growing at NDSU's camp, but they invited me back to their little prospect, whatever. So I came back and then um, they ended up offering me. And ultimately, I ended up picking NDSU. You know, I could have went to Northern Iowa. My brother was there, but NDSU just seemed like the right fit for me. Um, and honestly, got there, and we made history, man. It was crazy. Rumor is uh, your first day they put you in, like, what, I don't know, backups or something. You destroyed some starting D linemen. Then they moved you with the ones right after that. Or how'd that all go down? I'm pretty sure that's accurate. I'm pretty sure it was, like, the first day of practice, I remember standing there, and it was like they split everybody up ones and twos, and they round one play. And then you hear it was uh, vegan, and everybody's like, who's this over here? Billy, like, Billy, get down with the ones. This, he t- it was like one, maybe two plays, and then we didn't see Billy with the twos. Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I don't remember, I don't remember my, my first day of practice. The thing that I do remember, though, is that first day of camp when we had to run patterns. Oh. Bruh. I was like, bro, what the? What is this? <laughs> bruh, I was like, what is this? We, we had this conditioning to it. I was like, bruh, absolutely not. Well, that, that, that is what I remember. I don't remember the first day of practice or anything like that. I just remember those patterns, and I was like, yo, what? There was there was no word that I think anybody hated to hear more than than patterns. Patterns, no, bruh. It was like every year, it's like they didn't get any easier. Like, they were still trash. <laughs> Man, yeah but that, that's that's what i remembered um and i didn't um i didn't end up starting right away we played kansas that first game and we won like six to three and then that following game we were at northern iowa it was our second game somebody got hurt so i went in to play that second game and from that point forward i never came out yeah and you ended up being a i mean was a three-time national champ, and then you had two-time, yep. two-time All-American. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you, you were consensus. You were a stud. <laughs> it is what it is. And and with you, like obviously the like athletics runs deep in your family with your dad and brothers being in the league. Was there a point when you kind of realized like, oh, this is also something that I could accomplish? Whether it was when you were at NDSU or growing up in high school. I mean, it was always a dream. Like you don't. Everyone has dreams, aspirations, but you never truly know what's going to happen, if it's going to happen, until it happens, you know, and that's kind of – that's how life works. So I always dreamt about playing football. I wanted to follow in my father's footsteps, follow in my father's footsteps. It wasn't until my senior year where the other brother, Brian, found us, and it was like, okay, well – your brother found us that we had been looking for over 25 years. He was in the NFL at the time playing for the Giants. He had got drafted the fourth round. Uh, we ended up meeting him when they came here to play the Vikings. So, you know, then I was like, oh, shit, like this is really truly in my genes. Like I knew Pops played, you know, the older brother Maurice had an opportunity to play, you know, so I knew the chances were there. But honestly, I didn't know that I was going to be playing at the next level until Man, probably late in my sophomore year at NDSU, I knew I had a chance because Fooksy told me that some scouts were asking about me and they kind of 
you know, just, just hearing that, like, I just kicked shit into overdrive. I was like, fuck, that's all I needed to hear. So I started going ham. I was in the weight room by myself, et cetera. I was trying to gain weight, do whatever it took. And then and that just kept leading up into these next things. Don't, I don't want to call them accolades because, you know, it wasn't necessarily getting invited to the senior bowl or the combine. It, it was just kind of moving forward and seeing myself on film get better and better and better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Challenging myself to do certain things within my game better and better and better while watching other dudes around the country, whether it be the Big Ten, the SEC, trying to do similar things that I was doing better. Then I was like, okay, I have an opportunity. But knowing I was at a small school, I never really knew if I was going to get drafted. I knew I would have an opportunity, but I didn't know if I was going to get drafted or if I was going to go undrafted. And that's just kind of how it works when you're at a small school, to be honest with you. Right. Yeah. You didn't only get drafted, man. You were the, the second highest drafted NDSU player at the time, 67th overall to the Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, I was told I could go anywhere from the second round all the way to undrafted. So I was just kind of like, I mean, shit, who knows? Right. Honestly, like, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd hoped I got drafted early. Who wouldn't hope that? But, yeah. you know, uh, you just, you never really know, man. It, getting like, do you obviously like you like you said you kind of every kid dreams about playing in the NFL, hearing their name on draft day. What was that experience like for you? Were you big party with your family on draft day, or just kind of low key? I was low key, man. It was me, my mom, my dad, and my brother. That was that was it. Um, we were just at the house chilling, just watching it, waiting, and. I got the call. It's kind of weird how it works out because you watch it on TV and you really like realistically you get the call probably most times like a pick or two in front of where it's at. So they might be on, you know, pick 64. The Dolphins are calling me saying that they're drafted me and they're two picks later, you know, or three picks later. So, you know, it's kind of different how it happens out. It's not like that for everyone. You know, there's definitely trades that happen and stuff that gets down to the wire, but for me personally, they had called me and I looked at the screen and I thought Tampa Bay was either on the screen or coming up. And I had met with Tampa Bay and then the Vikings were coming up and I had met with the Vikings. And then I looked at my phone and it was a Florida area code. So initially I thought it was Tampa Bay, but then I picked it up and it was Miami. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, so when you get to Miami though, I mean, that's a crazy place to be drafted to the nightlife, all the crazy stuff that's going on out there. What was that like going from NDSU to then that? Honestly, man, Miami, great place to live. Miami is fun, nightlife, the atmosphere. Um, it, it was – I went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, to be honest with you. Dude. I loved living in Miami, but I just did not have – you know, career-wise, I did not have – a good time down there. I didn't have uh, a good two and a half, three years that I was there. And I learned a lot. I, I grounded myself. I figured a lot of stuff out and ultimately ended up getting cut and ended up in Denver. And Denver was kind of the, it was the new wave for me. It was the restart button. And, you know, every year I got better and led me to where I'm at right now in Green Bay. Well, you balled out at, in 2018 at Denver. Yeah, and, you know what, and it was crazy because, you know, obviously everyone wants to go into a season, you know, hoping to be a starter, et cetera. You know, I had gone into seasons thinking I was going to be a starter. I was never a starter in Denver. 
I was never too injury starter. Yeah, I mean, I ended up playing because of injuries. Um, I was going to be named a starter early in one spring, but uh, we were in a mini camp and a rookie rolled up on the back of my leg and I had a high angle sprain. I was out for the spring, you know, so that's kind of how that works. There was a lot of ups and downs for me. And uh, yeah, I was never actually a starter in Denver. I only ended up playing because of injuries. And, you know, even when I played, I played very well. Yeah. Guy comes back from an injury. All right. He's back in. I was like, damn, you know, but then someone else got hurt. So I was back in. And honestly, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because I got the opportunity to start and play multiple positions, which is ultimately why Green Bay brought me in and wanted me because of my versatility. I can play any of the positions and I can strive at any of those positions. I mean, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Tevin. I was going to say, like, with, was that something that you wanted to do is learn to play different positions? Because, I mean, you were left tackle, stud, like, holding it down. Did you have to kind of check any type of ego to learn to play guard and move inside? And it wasn't necessarily an ego check. It was more so just I don't want to keep moving positions as I'm trying to learn shit. I'm trying to figure yeah. out one thing at a time. You know what I mean? But ultimately, it was the best thing for me and the best thing for my career. Even when you can't see it while it's happening, looking back on it now, it definitely helped my technique and helped a lot of things out throughout the course of my career and in my game. And most importantly, get that bag, you know? Right, 100%. <laughs> you cashed out but uh i mean as much as i hate this i bleed purple i I can't believe you did that to us with the packers but if you're gonna steal money from somebody i am glad it's them come on man do do what you gotta do right (laughs) that ain't ain't on me the vikings weren't interested they weren't interested (laughs) okay i can i can forgive it then i can forgive it um how, how crazy is it being in practice with aaron Rodgers, man Stoke, man. He's one of he's one of the homies, dude. He's a he's a good dude. We uh I like to talk to him. We talk about a lot of stuff that's not football related. Um but yeah, he's uh he's good people, man. We we have a lot of conversations about positivity and just kind of that whole category, I guess. And that was honestly one of the first things that me and him talked about was just positivity and the stuff that I was posting all the time. And, you know, irie, positivity, happiness, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. He was just intrigued in it. He in it, you know, ultimately that that that's kind of where a lot of our conversations initiated. And then, you know, as most relationships work, whether it's a friendship, personal relationship, a work relationship, anything, you know, it kind of starts at one thing and then evolves and, you know, turns into whatever. But, you know, for me and him, that's kind of where that started. And it's honestly, it was different with some of the linemen, but there's definitely dudes on the team. And, you know, when you come up to me and you start talking to me about positivity and a mindset and stuff like that, that's how I, I know that you have goodness in you and to you, because if you're interested in that, that means that you want to be a better person. And I I can 100% get down with that, regardless of where you're at in your life. If you want to be a better person, I'm going to fuck with you. Yeah. Well, you know, another person I want to talk to you about is David Bakhtiari. He's an interesting character, too, man. You think you could take him in a chugging contest? Do I think I could? Yeah. I think I could. <laughs> now, um, now, are you Bobby's going to? A, <laughs> am I going to? Not anytime soon. 
Um, <laughs> Box, uh, Box, a good dude, man. Box, a good guy. He, he's a high energy dude. He's a he's a great dude to have in your room. You know, a lot of things go on throughout the course of an NFL season. A lot of ups and downs. You know, there's a lot of different energy that's in the room at any given time, depending on how the season's going. So, you know, and that's the thing about an offensive line room is, you know, traditionally offensive linemen, you know, they're, they kind of get put into this category as being different. In our offensive line room, we are all different 100%, but we have a great mix of personalities, Where you know, between me, Bach, Corey, Balaga, RIP with the Chargers now, um, Elton, one of the rookies. You know, we just had a lot of different personalities that ended up working well together, and it provided a good environment for us throughout the season. Yeah, you guys always had cohesion over there. I mean, minus injuries with the Packers long-term, they've always had a really good line if there's no injuries. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other thing – oh, go ahead, Tev. Go ahead. You know, I, I wanted to say this – from seeing you from a distance, obviously this is our first time talking, but you come off as one of the swaggiest dudes in the NFL. You know, <laughs> does that come off? Does that come from your off the field interests and in art, photography, clothing? You know, your your charity stuff, all the stuff that you kind of dabble with. Where does that come from? Yeah, honestly, that it's just me, man. It, it it's something that, like anything else in everyone's life, it. You know, it's kind of hard to put a finger on or to pinpoint exactly where something comes from, whether it be your personality, your style, your hobbies, like all of that. It just, I couldn't tell you where it stemmed from. My parents are into fashion. My mom, my dad, my aunts, uncles, like everyone is kind of into fashion 100%. But that's something for me that started to come about and to come alive over the last six, seven years that I've been in the NFL. And it started in college. It started in high school, you know, with art and things like that, that I was interested in. But, you know, every year that I go forward, I get deeper and deeper into this hobby of art and creating things. And honestly, probably four or five years ago, it started, it, the clothing thing kind of started coming into play. And, Every year it gets a little bit further and further, more ideas come about. And honestly, it's just kind of, it's just who I am. And it's my lifestyle at this point. I just, you know, you can't help what you like, you know, whether it's a car, whether, you know, it's a, a woman, whether, you know, it's family, friends, it can be food. It can literally be anything. You really can't help what you like. And the things that I'm interested in just continue to, you know, come about in my life in different ways. Well, man, you can't buy what you got. That, that's you got. Some yeah, stuff. Right. You can't buy what you got. No, appreciate it, man. And, and I want to back up a little bit to more like the playing days because you obviously your career started in uh, Miami after getting drafted, and they were not necessarily the best team. You personally kind of struggled a little bit before getting cut. Is there any player or coach that either you went up against every day in practice, or that was kind of like a mentor to you that helped you? kind of through the dog days of, of the NFL early on? Um, you know, at the time, there was not, um, you know, practicing against Nandamik and Sue was one thing because it made you better. 
you know, Jared Odrick was with us. Jared Odrick is a great dude, a great person, great human. He was a great player when he was playing with us. And, um, you know, going against guys like that every day who weren't afraid to answer your questions when you got beat, if you had questions for them, they were just going to be honest with you and, you know, kind of give you their two cents and what they thought, you know, um, Brandon Albert was our left tackle who they had signed the year that I got down there. Brandon Albert is one of the greatest left tackles to play the game, in my opinion. Um, you know, what I learned from Brandon Albert was how to use my hands and how to punch. You know, I, I used my hands in college, but at the, the next level, you know, going from tackle to guard, things were different. I couldn't really figure it out. But watching him, watching him play, watching him at practice, watching him off the field, he taught me a lot not only about my hands and about football as far as the physicality, but a lot of mental strategies to use to my benefit. So, you know, between those three guys, defensive and offensively, um, those were some of the dudes who, you know, immediately come to mind during my time down in Miami. And then the homies that I kicked it with were Jawan Doug or Jawan, Jawan James and Jamil Douglas, uh, my two O-line homies that kicked it with, um, and we just kind of went through, we just kind of went through all of it together, man. You know, me and Juwan got drafted together, and then Jamil got drafted the year after us, and Jamil ended up living with me, you know. But we we just went through all of that stuff together, you know what I mean? And yeah, that was uh, honestly, that was the best thing that I could have asked for. Looking back, that I didn't even realize at the time was to have homies like that on my side that I was going through stuff with and to have those older dudes who you didn't even realize at the time were mentors, but they, they were, you know, and, you know, looking back on it, there's other guys that come to mind who may not have been star players, but just the work ethic and the mentality that they had that they brought to practice every single day was something that I admired and something that I tried to, you know, kind of develop within myself to move forward throughout the course of my career. No, that's that's very cool to bring up Brandon Albert. You know, he kind of gets forgotten the shuffle. He was a very, very tough left tackle for a long time. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, you know, out of Virginia with the Chiefs for a long time. Um, and, and yeah, too. That, that, isn't that what kind of got him down in Miami? He, he was trying to get paid. He had that contract. And, yeah, and then they kind of screwed him over with that Remy Tunzel pick. With, but then he kind of fell because of the, the BS that fell out on draft day. So, I mean, I think yeah, there's just a lot of weird I mean, stuff that can happen. It just makes me think, like, what the hell is going to happen tonight? Yeah, there is, man. You, there, you never really know what's going to happen. You know, but the one thing that I do know is that as long as you believe in yourself and you continue to work and strive for these things that you believe in, stuff is going to happen for you. Stuff is going to start to turn and it's going to happen in the way that it's supposed to, you know? So, you know, the stuff with Laramie happened. Laramie is one of my homies also a good dude. He ended up falling, but that was the best thing that could have happened for him and his career. You know, mm -hmm. he ended up coming into Miami. He was working with Brandon Albert, Mike Pouncey, Juwan James, all of us. And then, you know, I ended up leaving that year, but that was the best thing that could have happened to him. You know, he got to learn guard, got to play there, got to learn fundamentals, and then they moved him out to tackle. Now he's with the Texans, probably, 
I don't want to say probably, he's going to be the highest paid left tackle in the history yeah. of the game. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, it's crazy how things work out and happen, but that was the best thing that could have happened to him. And just kind of how, you know, situations work out, It's and it's no different right now with this COVID-19 thing. Like, it's very tough to see the silver lining and to kind of look into the future, like what good is going to come from this. There's a lot of people that are getting sick, a lot of people who are dying, et cetera. You don't really know, but at the end of the day, it's like you're going to be able to – the silver lining is going to happen. It's going to come up eventually, but, I mean, in the midst of – call it destruction, in the midst of negativity, it is hard to find that positive thing. Mm-hmm. But – with that being said, if you trust and you have faith and you just wait and you continue to work towards whatever these individual goals and et cetera may be, it's going to happen. But I think with humanity and just in life in general, that is one of the hardest things to do. You know, you want to be, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, you want to get promoted, you want to be, you know, in the corporate world and you want to get to this point. It's like, Okay, well, I want to get here. I'm all the way down here on the totem pole, and you know, I'm moving forward, moving forward. I get knocked back down. I get fired. I lose my job twice. For my, I, I got cut twice in the same week. I'm like, fuck. How am I gonna get? Like, how does that? You know what I mean? Yeah. But your mindset and everything that you put into who you want to be as a person, that is supposed to happen. You know, I mean, it's a rough road that leads to the heights of greatness. You know, you're never going to be able to foresee what is going to happen, but you just got to have trust and faith as you continue to climb that mountain, man. And that's, I talk about that a lot because it's very true, but the hardest, the hardest part is when you get knocked down, how do you continue to move forward with positivity? Yeah, Yeah. no, that's real. You you need to be a motivational speaker. Yeah, you do. (laughs) That goes over. You, you tour the country giving speeches, man. No, that's, that's that's great advice. Well, Billy, we want to thank you for coming out here and talking with us. Oh, man, what the hell is going on here? What is this me or is this you guys? No, that's you. Oh, man. My bad, guys. Sorry about that. Um, But I want to thank you for coming on here and talking with us. We really appreciate your time, and we'd love to have you back whenever you want to come back. Yeah. And uh, one more time, uh, plug the COVID uh, charity work that you're doing yeah. again? Yeah, our uh, our nonprofit is the Kind Energy Foundation. Our campaign right now for COVID-19 re- uh, relief is Kindness for COVID. Find us on Instagram, Kind Energy Foundation. Um, yeah, we're on Instagram, Twitter, all of the above. Our website is kindenergyfoundation.com. All the information is on there. If you want to buy a T-shirt, if you want to donate, et cetera, we're going to come out with some more t-shirts eventually. And then I'm going to come out with my own personal little clothing line eventually over the course of the next few months. Once this pandemic hopefully dies down a little bit. So yeah, check us out. All of them outlets will be out there. Check out kind energy foundation. We'll definitely plug it. We'll put it in the links, all that stuff. And we appreciate you talking with us, man. Yeah. Thank you. Billy. No problem, man.